Hello, everyone. Here we are for episode 15 of Awoke Bloke with myself, Michael Ray, and my galloping offsider. Reham from not so sunny UK, but we were getting some flurries. How about you? How was the weather on your end, Michael? Oh, it's funny. We go from 40 degrees one day back down to 19 the next and uh, yeah it's ridiculous my hair's so frizzy as you can tell from the humidity <laughs> so is mine can't you tell um <laughs> tonight's episode yeah or this what are we talk about tonight Ryan? we're talking about role models this morning the sorry importance. no worries it's both on two hemispheres um and the importance of role models in our lives and how to choose them effectively and when we're not aware of how we choose them, the impact of them on our lives and our minds. Yeah, the at, at the moment I've I've been a, a little bit um, aware of. Uh, there's some fantastic women leaders at the moment. We have Kamala Harris, um, first you know African or Asian uh, female vice president in uh, how many hundred years, and. Jacinda Ardern and Angela Merkel and Aung Suu Kyi. And I think I read, don't quote me on this, in the 1980s, there were 11 uh, female leaders elected to lead their country. In the 1990s, that had doubled to 22. In the 2000s, it had gone up to, the next decade had gone up to about 25. But in the last 10 years, between 2010 and 2020, 56 female leaders of countries have been elected to run their country. So as far as equality goes, it's it's slow, but we're getting there. And what I've started to realise is they're often held up as great role models for girls. Girls need to see this because there's, a, there's an oft-used term, you can't be what you can't see. Well, I, I'd like to add in, there's another one that is equally important, is you will struggle to accept what you don't expect for boys and men. These women aren't just great role models for women. I'm, I'm not saying they're not, they are, they're fantastic, but they're great role models full stop. Not because of their gender, not so much despite their gender, but because they've achieved something of, a huge magnitude. They've cast off a lot of the outdated gender expectations and, and roles. But until boys and men are comfortable with seeing women who are more than them, who are champions in all leagues and all spheres of life, a lot of the times it may be, um, there may be the urge to be less than or to dull your shine as a woman, to placate your partner who may be insecure. So boys have to be comfortable and have to have this pointed out that women are not only equal, but they're, they're as much able to do all things that they can do equally. So I, I do believe that the quality of a lot of these female leaders is so exemplary because it's like turning up um, to the grand final of your sport match fit because you've had a really hard season. So they do face some barriers and hurdles that um, aren't there for men because they're breaking new ground, they're going in, 
they don't have that uh, circle of friendship. They don't have the um, friend that knows somebody that knows somebody that gets promoted and you know helps them up. They've really got to be on their game. But because they've overcome these um, barriers and hurdles, by the time they reach that top level, they're battle ready. The you know the sword's been sharpened in the heat of battle, and so they're really ready. But we need to point out these are great role models for boys as well. So this gender-specific role models, no, someone who's good at what they do. You know, I love Serena Williams. Someone asked her if she thought she would one day be considered the greatest female tennis player of all times. And her response was, why wouldn't I be the greatest tennis player of all times? I've won more Grand Slams. And, and that's that's exactly exactly what it is. She's, you know, one of the leading tennis players, regardless of gender. What do you think, Rehan? I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think they're gender, gender neutral, regardless. They're attributes and qualities and, and uh, traits that each person possesses be them, you know, be they male or female, that boys and girls, men and women can definitely benefit from learning about, from mirroring, if it's a good one, and taking on board and and attributing it to themselves and making it part of their personality traits. It's what makes us who we are in society. And oftentimes, uh, I know I've heard you say this, Michael, and oftentimes I've heard this uh, being said a lot um, from psychologists and experts in the field, similar to yourself, uh, you know, it's what you see it as a trait, you start to mirror if you want to have it as part of who you are. But before we can actually start to mirror, we kind of have to know who we are. And that's why we wanted to break down role models into categories for us to kind of get a sense of, um, and for our, our listeners to get a sense of what are the stages of role models that we experience or exposed to in our lives. Each of the, the leaders that you mentioned, be they female or male, have had role models themselves. And with those role models, that has helped hone and accentuate the skill sets, the attributes, and the qualities that they possess in order to get to the caliber that they are at now. So with that said, let's kind of look at when we start out life uh, as children, as youth, the first role model that we come in contact with are usually our parents. First uh, person that we are experiencing guidance or mentorship or even coaching from, maybe a guardian or a teacher in place of parents uh, for whatever reason. And so those are what I call attribute and value developers. And this is where, Michael, you're known to say these three points. Do you want to say them or would you like me to? to Uh, You go ahead, Rahim. Okay, so will it hurt me? Um, And then the second question to ask ourselves, will it hurt anyone else? And then the third question we'll ask ourselves, will it achieve the desired outcome? And so those are the guiding uh, principles to look at regarding each attribute and value that we want to take on board. But oftentimes we're too young as children or young adults to really recognize how to ask those questions and the answers to each of those questions and how to take that on board. So that's why being parents ourselves, like Michael and myself, 
um, and many of our listeners is such an important role. And even if you're not an actual parent, you can still be a role model to other people, especially children, by how you show up in their lives, by the decisions that you make, by the guidance that you give them. Every bit counts. So even if you don't have children, or you're around children, or other people's children, or your own, remember every single thing that you say or do will be mimicked in those early stages. So choose wisely how you want to show up. What are your thoughts, Michael, about that stage? Of being a role model. Definitely, Ram. Children get their sense of self from what we value in them. They feel good about making us feel good. There's one of the best things about kids, there's actually a response called the delight response in babies. And they see our facial response and they they respond with our delight. So when they see us laugh and smile and they can tell by the way I our eyes water a little bit and our mouths raise, they do it. But, you know, even things where they drop the cup off the high chair and we pick it up, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is a game. Look, it's, this is good. Dad or mum like it when we do this. So all of those things go along. So depending on ages and stages, a lot of it's not hardwired in yet, but we need to explain and be clear and be reasoning with why we're doing things so otherwise kids will assign a a reason that is developmentally understandable to them and it may not always be good so a lot of our kids may experience conditional love so it's when i do this they don't like me dad doesn't like me mum doesn't like me when i do this they do like me so now i'm going to just keep doing this to try and get liked or if you end up with uh, oppositional defiance where you know they, they will do the opposite to elicit a response because they may not be getting any response from you. But you know, role models are everywhere and you need to be clear and we need to unpack their role models. Otherwise, we don't want to be completely outcome or destination driven. You know, she's great because he's got millions of dollars. He's great because he can kick a football really really well you know we need to break it down well he's great because he's found a passion he's great because he helps people with the money he makes from that he's great because he was dedicated and trained for hours and hours and hours so there's a lot of work that goes on there he must have been lucky to have really supportive parents to take him to training all all of the time and all of these things because we don't want to get confused with what he does and what he has versus who he is and that's what we want to pick our role models on, who or she is. And even with, as I was saying, our Jacinda Ardern's and Angela Merkel's and all the rest of it, we want to be careful too, holding them up on a pedestal as they're great role models for girls. And as I said, I think they're great role models for boys. Does that put, um, you know, stay-at-home mums in a lesser category? Well, no, not at all. It's who is a decent person with great values, who has found contentment and fulfilment in what they do. Because that's all we want for our children. You know, we want them to be content and happy more than successful. Because what KPIs do we put on success? Your version of success might not be my version of success. And I've worked with plenty of people who from the outside 
from society's version, you would say, wow, look how successful he is. He's got past the house, you know, the money, and inside he's just a shallow, hollow wreck who's, you know, drinking a bottle of scotch every night to try and calm himself down because he feels um, lost. So far from successful, but we assign our values of, uh, you know, outward extrinsic versions of success. But until you realize who you are and what matters, you will struggle. That next stage of development is so essential as well, especially when the parents start or the guardians uh, start to have less of a direct impact on teenagers and the physical and emotional and mental health of these teenagers are developed by their teachers, by their sports coaches, by their peers. So the impact is not controlled, quote unquote, by the parents. And that sense of control starts to disappear as the children grow older. And it's, it's about what you were saying, Michael, developing that sense of why around what it is that we do and why we do it the way that we do it so that our children can have those KPIs for success based on their contentment, based on their happiness, based on their appreciation, based on their values, and not just based on the goal that they achieved or you know, the football goal that they achieved or the grade that they uh, were able to secure or the ranking that they were able to achieve. Uh, it becomes a different playing ground. So with this next stage, knowing the whys and the what's of who we are, as you were saying in the previous stage, takes us into that next stage because our values are going to be questioned um, when we're teenagers. Our, our children's values will be um, the battleground. Why is it that you don't want to go to the party with us? Why don't you want to drink? Why don't you want to smoke? Why don't you want to go and, and, and meet this girl or that boy? Why don't you want to be with us? Why can't you just be like us? And that need to fit in is so overwhelming and, and oftentimes even scary for many of the youth that mm -hmm. they tend to fit in just because they need to feel seen or they need to feel heard or they want to be part of the group and not the outsider. Even if their values are different and they're not aligned, they may choose the easier route. And that comes from how strongly we've impacted them as parents or as guardians early on in that previous stage with the attributes and value development. So in this physical, emotional, and mental health development, this is where a lot of teenagers, it's part of their growth and development to grow and experience and experiment within reason, obviously, and learn to make good decisions. And it's not, Michael, as you always say, not by following orders, but it's through the experiences and the role that we can play as parents, not to control, but as guides, as role models, as mentors, as coaches, is to ask those questions, to ask, well, is, you know, is this the best decision that you can make with this information? Have you thought about this? Instead of telling them you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that, you're not going to the party because I said so. That doesn't get the child any further along in their decision-making process. I'm not going to let you ride you know, with your friend or drive the car because is what's needed. That because and that answer why 
to justify and to clarify how we as parents make decisions cause us to stand out in our, in our children's mind, in our, in our children's hearts, as opposed to the teachers, the sports coaches, and their peers, which may be excellent role models in their own right. However, it's our responsibility as parents until they're old enough to make sure that we are always guiding them. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Michael? And I know that you have a lot of stories when it comes to this particular point. Do share. I, I agree 100%, Raham. I remember as I was a rebellious um, wild child as a, as a uh, kid always in trouble. And no way. You know, I remember, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember my, my dad saying to me, why did you do it? And they said, well, I don't know. We just did it. And that was honestly, that was honestly it. There, there was no, any more depth of the decisions other than while everyone else was doing it. And then you would get the standard dad response, you know, a mum response. If everyone was jumping off a cliff, would you do it? And well, probably, <laughs> you know. So um, nowhere in nature does a vacuum exist. Everything gets filled in everywhere. So we've got to, we've got to get our kids questioning us as much as them. So um, my standard response to whenever Charlie asks a question is, well, what do you think? Well, I, I don't know. Well, you know, you must have some idea. What do you think would happen if, you know, what's your first thing? So about what you would do and then ask yourself the question, well, what would happen then? And so we've got to get that questioning, that little bit of uh, unblind thought because, as you said, peer pressure will have more of an impact on our kids. I think we've got up until about the age of seven. And I, I noticed Charlie, after her and I being together 24-7, all of a sudden, once she started grade one, things were coming out of her that, oh, me, that's not anything that we do. Where did this come from? And all of a sudden, you notice the influence of her day-to-day -day things, kids at school, some of the little mannerisms and things like that. And it's like, really? And so you've got to realise that if if you're insecure about your children, I think you're a little bit insecure about the job you've done up until that point. And if you um, have problems later in life, it's earlier in life with your child because you've Force doesn't work with kids. Force creates resistance. So if you give them, no, you're not going to that party. I, I don't want you, you're just going to create so much resistance. So you need to break it down. So my, my hopefully, and this is all theory because Charlie's not at that age yet, would be I have concerns about the party. Will there be alcohol there? Yes, there will. Well, see, I'm uncomfortable with alcohol because you're not old enough to drink. So what can we do about that? Well, I promise I won't drink. Okay, well, that's that's good. So we've got that out of the way so we can remove remove that. So, you know, I trust you. If you tell me you're not going to drink, I know you're not going to drink. So we've got that out of the way. What about the other kids who are drinking? Are your friends going to be drinking? Oh, well, you know, some of them do and some, well, how can we manage that? What about if I take you there and I pick you up? Would you be comfortable with that? Because then at least I know that you're safe. And as long as, is there an adult at the party? 
why I don't know, would you be happy if, you know, I dropped you off and I came in? So we can do it. And it's incremental steps to the point where, you know what, you, you're great. I really appreciate you saving me worrying to death and stuff like that. And I hope you have fun. And, you know, eventually they learn to trust themselves and stretch the boundaries for themselves a little bit more. So that would be the thing within the dictatorial or authoritarian. No, no, you're not going because it just means it's it's like a prisoner that's been in jail and hasn't done parole. I'm going to let you out on parole, but I'm going to watch you and I'm going to make sure everything goes all right. Whereas if I just set you free once you're 18 and you've got no life skills, you haven't questioned it, that's a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. Uh, it's those critical thinking skills that come over a period of time, over a trial and error, and learning from those mistakes. And as you know, Michael, I always say mistakes are opportunities for learning to the point where my son repeats it in his sleep if he wanted to. Um, because I've said it so many times, there aren't, that there aren't issues around mistakes. The issue is not learning from them and growing from them and shifting um, your approach from that stage. And what's really important for our kids to know at this stage as us being their role models at that point, or one of the main role models is to always create learning opportunities. Every single day is a school day. Every single moment is a teachable moment. So when they're frustrated about something, what is it that we can learn from this at the end? So that you're always bringing it back to how can I learn from this? How can I do something different? How can I pivot the situation in my mind if it's such a negative experience? Or what could I potentially have um, done different to create a different outcome? I don't know whether you've seen books like this or not. I grew up with this when I was young, uh, Michael, in the States, um, where you can get those books where you can change the outcome of the story halfway through or in the beginning. And each time it's a different decision. And it's that process of trial and error that we wanna give our kids. It's like that sense of being in parole, but it's more like a teaching ground. And when our homes are teaching grounds instead of prisons, then the kids actually can experiment and have a safe place to ask us those difficult questions instead of relying on their peers and other people that might not have the right or accurate or even healthy information for them to learn from. So when we create that space of engagement and training and support and, and no question is a bad question and you could ask me anything, even if it's going to piss me off or trigger me as your parents, I'd rather you ask me than ask somebody else because then hopefully we as parents are giving them the truth age-appropriately. Mm -hmm. uh, that takes us to the next step. But before we go there in, in, in child development and, and growth of how different roles of role models, sorry, different positions of role models shift in our lives, Michael, tell us a little bit about walkabouts. And, and I know, you know you've been known to say this, this statement, like girls look in their family for role models and they're constantly, most often, from their family, be it a grandmother, be it an aunt, be it a cousin even, if they're older, um, boys look out, outside of the family for role models, for mentors, because it diminishes the fear of judgment. It dimin diminishes the fear of being less masculine. It diminishes the concern about being too vulnerable early on. Mm -hmm. So how does it work in Australia? And tell us about walkabouts. 
nearly nearly every culture, as I was saying, girls become women at a certain age, you know, and, you know, girls are always going to grow into a woman when they have kids. The A lot of cultures say, you know, one day you'll be a woman, you'll be a mother. Whereas with boys in a lot of cultures, you had to do something to prove yourself. And a lot of the times it was just stupid stuff like jumping out of a tree with a vine tied around your thing or, you know, cutting yourself or going out to slay a slay an animal in the forest and all these things to come back. But you actually had to prove you're a man. And, you know, a lot of that still exists now. But if a lot of our boys come into manhood uninitiated and unguided and they take their cues from social media, popular culture, diehard movies, you know, cowboy movies, all the ridiculous um, outdated caricatures of macho and just ridiculous stuff here in Australia. Yeah. yeah, here in Australia, our Indigenous strains would go out walkabout, so they would send them out in the bush and they would have to go out for a week, a little bit longer and survive and all the rest of it and come back and you know, they were then considered a man and then they would get to participate in some of the decision-making and they would move up. But until then, they would basically stay with mum and help with the um, the tribal aspects of things. But boys definitely look outside. They have sporting heroes. They have movie heroes. They have all of these things. I note that the rise of eating disorders on boys is uh, on the increase now because, you know, as much as Barbie and all the rest of the unrealistic things have been um, decried and pointed out as counterproductive for women and the catwalk models and the fashion magazines that portray an unrealistic and unhealthy uh, version of uh, female physicality, we've got, you know, your Chris Hemsworths and you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's, and now I read a paper the other day where it said that um, sophomore students, so high school students at the age of 16, are now more likely to have taken a image or performance-enhancing drug than marijuana. So steroids or, or one of those more than marijuana. So that's how um, the pendulum's starting to swing now and boys are starting to struggle because their appearance is now you're not a real man unless you've got muscles. Uh, and that also then leads to, you know, their warped sense of what a woman should look like as well, because a man with muscles should have a girl who's slim and, you know, curvy or, you know, whatever ridiculous um, tropes that they have for that. So I think it's, it's vital for us to have somebody that our kids can go to so whether it's an aunt for a daughter, same-sex parents is the most specific role model um, for our children. But whether there's an aunt or a grandma or someone where they can separation and sort things out and feel like they can speak a little bit more freely. And the same with boys, whether it be a soccer coach or a football coach or you know an uncle, things like that. Uh, really good to have a mentor or a mentee type thing just to let them explore things a little bit more freely and, and remove some of that confusion. Absolutely, absolutely, because that takes us to the, the last stage, which is social develop, uh, developers, uh, such as coworkers, employers, social media, the media or society, and that's where the distortion just 
has no limits. And just like you were mentioning with body image and um, you know movie stars and, and and musicians, not that they're bad or good. The point is it's how they're used. But when when we as adults start to wear masks or meet other people's expectations or live life to please others, that's a form of emotional prostitution. That's not something that we need to offer of ourselves so freely because we are valuable individuals and who we are is the definition of who we put out into the world. And that is a statement that isn't supposed to be pointless. It has a purpose. It has a vision. It has a direction. It has a goal. And needing to fit in and never feeling like you actually do is a type of manipulation that social media and media and society oftentimes create to create an institutionalized sense of hurting. So hurting means when you have sheep, for example, and the shepherd is constantly moving them away from the road or away from the water and constantly keeping them in a tight knit path towards the outcome that the shepherd wants them to go to, that's hurting. So institutionalized hurting is almost like this is the body image that you should have. Movie star, big bulk, um, fitness expert, guru. And, and then the woman that you should have on your hand should look like this, Barbie, you know, 35, 32, 36, or something like that. Those measurements shift in cultures, but the image yeah. is pretty much the same. And what's the problem with that is, is that it limits who we can be. So by default, like you were saying, it means when a mom says, you know, is, is asked, who are you? And she says, I'm just a mom. Or a man, you know, is walking with his partner and he says, I'm just with her. That's the institutionalized hurting that I'm talking about. It's that sense of you've got blinders on and you're only living up to the expectations or the determined outcomes created by social media and the media and society. And we have so much more to offer. So my question is, why are we choosing, choosing? And this is the thing, we were talking about making decisions through critical analysis and reflection, through trial and error, through practice, through experimentation. But what happens is from that previous level of physical, emotional, mental health developers to that next position of social developers, we kind of forgotten to take decisions for ourselves and we follow along, not being leaders in our own rights. Now, yes, sometimes we have to be followers and sometimes we have to be leaders, but when it's your life, you are the leader of your life. It's your calling, it's your purpose. And imagine living on a dim all of the time, dimming your light in order for others to be okay, dimming your light in order for others to accept you the way that you naturally, genuinely, authentically are. Who cares what other people think? Who cares why they decide to do what they do? That's their decision. Now, why follow when you can be a leader in your own right? Because each and every one of us comes with a talent or talents to express and to really live out and share with the world. If we don't develop those talents, and I believe that there are many more than just one in each human being, if we don't develop those talents, then we're depriving the world of that added value. So what have you done to identify your talents? 
exactly. It's as I say, if if I was to say to you, right, I'm I'm going to give you a certain amount of money to dress a certain way, to wear a certain uniform and behave a certain way, which is basically what happens when sometimes you work for a corporation for eight hours a day, I'm going to behave, dress and do the things that are asked of me and fit in and you're paid a certain amount. Then if I say to you, all right, well, what about if I was to ask you to do that 24 hours a day? And what about if I was going to ask you to do it for the next five years or 10 years? How much would you want for that? Then why are you giving it away for free? Why are you trying to fit in and behave in a certain way to fit in? Because would it be that bad if you didn't fit in, if you weren't as they expected you to be? Would you be different or odd, or would you be interesting and authentic? So, you know, we've got to keep going inwards and not outwards. If somebody has a problem with your your authentic self, as I said, as long as it's not harming them, as long as you're not inflicting yourself upon someone else, who cares? They'll go out of your life and someone that will, you know, be happy just for you that will see value in you will come in because most people, you know, you're worried about people who don't like you. I know a lot of people who don't like themselves and you're worried about them not liking you. And, you know, if you're the one person in the room who's happy with themselves, is that a bad thing? You know, it's, it's not about arrogance or um, dissociation or, you know, putting someone else down. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's about authenticity. It's about, you know what? We have one life. And the minute you realise it's that one life and you stop wasting it, that's, that's where the true power is. That's where it comes in. And you've got to go, you know what? A lot of the times we go, I'm just going to do this job for a little while to earn a certain amount of money to buy something and then I'm going to stop. I hate the job, but I'll do it for a while and then I'll get it. I nearly always see that that doesn't last the amount of time that you thought you could tolerate it. So you've gone for the outcome and not the journey. Whereas if you go, you know what, I'm going to do this regardless because I love it because it's authentic, because it's me. And a lot of the time success comes from that. You know, the, the, the outcome will happen and it will be a, a natural consequence of you enjoying yourself. Exactly. And enjoying the journey. It's the yep. journey that matters. Exactly like yeah. you're saying, Michael, it's the journey, less the outcome. The outcome has never been in our hands. Even if you did every single thing, ticked every box, you know, fulfilled every little requirement, the outcome is still not given. It's not guaranteed. What is guaranteed is the amazing journey or the ride that you're going to be on if you're aware of what you're focusing your while. So living with purpose, healing with purpose is so essential if you feel like that's an area that you really want to work on. So with that said, let's kind of summarize just quickly. When picking a role model, consider gender neutral qualities, traits and attributes whenever you're looking for one for yourself or choosing to be one for others. Value driven, not outcome driven, as we were just saying. So identify what are your values? What are your, your hopes and aspirations to achieve based on those values, less the outcome that you want to achieve and work backwards. You can't be what you can't see, as Michael just said earlier. You can't, you, sorry, you struggle to accept what you don't 
famous words, and if not already, because your life has value. These are conversation starters with blokes, their children, and the women that support them. It's about many men, many conversations. Follow, like, and share us, and don't hesitate to comment below. What are you modeling for your children and the people around you today? Are you clear with them about your why, your values, and the principles behind your motivations by not manipulating but inspiring them? See you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.